You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. So, uh, today I invite you to Hebrews chapter number 10. I want to read something from the Message Bible. And listen to me, I don't study in the Message Bible. I study uh, typically in the New Revised Standard Edition um, or something that is very, very close to the original Hebrew and Greek so that I don't get a misunderstanding. The Message Bible, written by, edited by Eugene Peterson, simply helps put it in modern day, everyday English so that you can sort of get a grasp on it. But you don't want to do an actual in-depth word study, word by word by word. Enough about that. But let me show you, and the only reason I picked this, it went really, really well, and it does no injustice to the original text. He says in the scripture, he concludes... I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Now, obviously, there is some repentance that has to go on. You have to ask for forgiveness to be forgiven. Hello? There are those who says, well, it's all just covered under grace and, you know, but no, no, no. Until you ask for forgiveness and you repent of it, then you're still in your sins. Amen. And to confess is say, I'm sorry, or to say, I did it. To repent is to say, I'm sorry, and I don't want to do it anymore. That's why the Lord said, come out from among the world, turn away from those wicked things and turn to him. Now, I want to talk with you today, if the Lord would help me, about our slate. Every one of us here today has a slate. And uh, I've got some things on mine that I probably don't want to put up here for you. And you've probably got some things on yours that you think I don't know about. Or that you'd rather I didn't. Amen. And we're all in that boat because we're suffering from this thing called humanity. We're dealing with this old struggling flesh. Like Paul said, the very good that I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the thing I know I shouldn't do, I lo and behold end up doing it sometimes. Who shall deliver me from this old body of death? This old flesh that I'm dealing with. So... What I want you to to know, what you have got to know, what you need to know, and what you need to admit is the condition of your slate. Now there are people who will go look in a mirror, and they'll look in that mirror and see how they look and say, that ain't me. I ain't that big. I've got plenty of hair. It's real thick like it used to be when I was 20. And you can walk away under an illusion. And there are people living in strong delusion of their relationship with the Lord. There are those who are living in strong delusion about where they are really headed. Oh, they look at it and say, well, I meant well. It's getting quiet in here. I want to talk with you about the condition of our slate. And I want you to understand that we're serving a God who has the ability to wipe the slate clean. Amen? I I just want to show you some things right now that has marked our slate, if I may. And so I hope I don't get in trouble with this. And I want to thank Brother William Cribs for just hooking me up with this slate board. Amen? Y'all give him a hand real quick. 
Amen. He built that in about 45 minutes, I think. And uh, that's just, you know, how some people have got it and others are trying. But nonetheless, here's what I want to tell you. That this year... I have had some good things happen to me. This year, I have had some great success. This year, the church has had some great success. This year, we have reached... I say this year. I'm speaking of last year. Y'all know I hadn't caught up yet. But, but in 2015, we, we broke every church record that we'd ever set. We broke attendance records. We broke, we broke giving records. We broke tithing records. We, we broke recruiting records. We broke serving records. We broke missions records. I mean, we just broke all kinds of records. And praise God. I mean, we broke next steps records. We broke achievement records, accomplishments. We reached some goals. I'm telling you. But hey, I'll tell you something. It's a brand new year. And, and all of this that we have done just really don't matter now because there are those who are talking to me about the revival they had at their church back in 1950. And man, we had a great move of God and everybody ran the backs of the pews and slung bobby pins all over the altar. And it was great and a lot of people got saved. And where are they now? Not doing nothing in the kingdom of God now. What did the preacher preach on that was so wrath? I don't know, but he sure wasn't on it. Now that, my friend, is a misunderstanding of why we come to church. If you come here just to see me, you've come for the wrong reason. If you've come here to see the person sitting beside you, you have come for the wrong reason. I want to tell you something. Church is a place where failures come. Church is a place where misfits come. Church is a place where imperfect people come to worship a perfect God. And if you're looking for a real, real safe place where I'm never going to get bumped or bruised, church is not it. Now you might find that in the bar because you're so drunk you don't know you got bumped and bruised. Ooh, that one stung a little bit. I felt it sort of come back. But we've had success. But that success we had last year somehow has gotten wiped away. And 2016 is a brand new slate yet to be written upon. Now, what I need you to understand is that has marked our slate. Now, for you, there were some great successes that you had in your life this past year. Some of you graduated. You obtained that degree that you have worked 14 years for, or whatever it is. Amen? You have finally finished your GED. You finally got to be an engineer. You finally passed the state board. Whatever it is, some of you have had great success. And then maybe some of you finally found Mr. Wright. Some of you found Mrs. Wright. Some of you just, I mean, I mean, you've just had a successful year, and it's been grand for you, and it was a huge success, but guess what? It's all over now. That was last year. What are you going to do to impact the king? And you know what's wrong with the church? Can I tell you what's wrong with a lot of churches? We're still trying to live... Back in 1970, I wish I had the slate, I'd show you. 70, 65, 85, 90, even in 2000. Boy, we really had a great move of God. Maybe that's the year I got saved. Well, guess what? That's wonderful. But what are we doing now? Let me ask you this. I got Adam, he's 29 years old. He'll be 30 this coming year. It's hard to believe that. You believe that? Wow. But, you know, God gave him to us way back then in 1980-something, 6. Amen? 
Y'all with me? It's crazy. So, so way back then, and, and it's not like I abandoned him. We had to take him and rock him and rock him and rock him and put him down and pick him back up and had to feed him and take care of him and nurse him so that he is what he is today, a great man of God, a great musician, a great minister. Are you listening to me? But he would not have developed without the tutelage of a mother and a dad and a church. Are y'all hearing me? And what I'm simply saying is what happened years ago is not going to cut it to say to the Lord, Well, I had a great experience with you back in 1995. But God, the Bible says the Lord is coming and He's coming back for people who are looking for His return. He's coming back for a people that are busy about kingdom work. Did you know God has... I listened to John Maxwell the other night. Uh, in God's divine providence, the Alabama game was on. And I was at my mom and dad's house who do not have um, uh, the, the channel, the sports package. And uh, I contemplated buying it for them. And, and I thought better of it. And... Anyway, I, I just sat there, and Alabama was playing. I had my cell phone out, and I, I went ahead and hooked up to my dish net so I could see it on my cell phone. And I'm watching it, but I'm turning the TV, scrolling along, and I saw Hillsong and John Maxwell, the greatest, most influential leader in the church, uh, voted by those who are in the know, has mentored millions of leaders. He was preaching a message at Hillsong's church, just a, a packed, well, you saw it in, in the trailer a moment ago. And in his message, he says this, and he's up in his years now. I don't know how old John is, but still doing real well. But he said, in a nutshell, God has called us to do one thing. Let me say this. He's already pastored a mega church. He's already uh, created Enjoy Ministries, and he's got millions of followers. So he's not trying to make a name for himself. If, that, if that's what he's doing, he's already done it. But as he said, as I evaluate my life and as I come down to the end, so to speak, the Lord has revealed to me in my prayer time there's really only two things that the church needs to be. There's really only two things that, that we have to do. You've got to understand, 60 plus percent of people are never going to come in here. Only 43% of people in America will come. I don't care what the attraction is. I don't care if we have the shepherds. I don't care if we have Billy Graham. I don't care if it's Barack Obama. I don't care who it is that's coming to speak or teach. Only 43% is going to come to anything attractional. So that means there's 60 some odd percent. Are y'all with me? There's others that are not coming. 50 plus percent anyway that are not coming. That are not coming no matter what. So then he said, the gist of it is this, that God has called you and I. Pastors cannot do it on their own. You know what? If I could do it, I'd have done it a long time ago. The best thing I can do is teach you that God said that you are to be salt and light. Uh, he came out with this beautiful thing and it was a salt shaker and a flashlight. He said, that's all God's called us to be, salt and light. Shake a little salt and shine the light. Shaking salt and shining light. He says that, that people, if you become what God has called you to be, that is that you'll be the salt and the light. Salt enhances things. It makes it taste better. Y'all with me say amen. Every butter bean's got to have a little salt. Huh? To know where you're going in a dark room, you've got to have a little light. Man, I'm trying to get through this introduction. Lord, have I've got to move on. Listen, my slate also has failures. I missed the mark some last year. I don't want to put it out here on the marquee or up there, but, but I, I messed up some last year. I could have done better in some areas in my life. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing is Christians ought to learn this. Facebook is not where you put all your dirty laundry. Yeah. 
almost had a shouting fit. We've got sin where we messed up and we fell short and we missed the mark. And then we got some people calling it all okay. It's all right. It's already paid for. And it is. However, we must accept the grace of God. And when we accept the grace of God, there will be a change in our life. Someone says to me, well, Pastor, you just don't understand. If you just believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you don't have to do any works. Works like going to church. Works like fasting. Did you know Tithing is work. Did you know repenting in and of itself is a work? Anything you can do with your hands, your voice, or this body gave us, it is a work. The Bible says that, uh, let me go and get you that scripture. Way on down here, but I got to get it anyway. The Bible says that it, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you hearing me? But they'll say, well... We'll just trust in that finished work. And if we just trust in that, let me say this. If you do indeed trust in that finished work, which was enough, by the way, but if you do trust in it, you will have something to show. You will be doing something. I know you're wanting an example. Some of y'all looking at me and Pastor, I wish you would show me something. I'm going to. Jesus said, in as much as you have done this unto the least of these, my brethren. What are you talking about works? Feeding them. Giving them food. Giving them something to drink. Going to visit them in the hospital. Seeing them in the prison. In as much as you have done this unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Likewise, in as much as you have not done it unto the least of them, you have not done it unto me. You say, well... I ain't so sure. Let me say this. If we've accepted the grace of God, the grace of God that's appeared to all men, it will change us. We will not want to continue in sin and justify it by saying, well, it's all under the blood. Listen, it is, let me get real unpopular and, um, if I may for a second, and unskilled. It ain't under the blood. Sorry, you English majors. It's just not because what's under the blood is what we have confessed and repented of and done better for. The difference in a saint and a sinner is simply this. We're all sinners, you understand that? But somebody's trying to live right. When they do something wrong, it smites their heart and they say, Oh, Lord, I've not only offended uh, the church, I've not only let them down, but I've let you down, God. Wow, let me move on. So, guess what? Our sins and our failures, our disappointments, our shortcomings, guess what? He's going to give us if, if we will repent. You've got to understand this. Some things happen automatically. Our successes, they just go away. Because the calendar year changed. It's like buying a new calendar. Some of y'all are really into those expensive calendars that cost about $75 or $100 or whatever. I can't remember what they call them. Y'all know. But uh, anyway, uh, you get your brand new calendar. Yeah, go ahead and hold it up, Chelsea. Yeah, she's got one. And uh, guess what? When you get that brand new one, there ain't nothing wrote in it. Until you start putting some things down. Everybody's got a clean slate. The success, this happens automatically. What's right over here carries over. Sins, shortcomings, they carry over until you repent of them. They keep following you until you look in the mirror and say, you know what, I am an alcoholic. 
You know what? I am addicted to porn. You know what? I am addicted to mess. You know what? I am a constant and chronic liar. You know what? I'm constantly a negative person. I can't find one good thing to say about anybody every day. And until you look in the mirror and own who you are, you'll always be what you are. Well, you got to, and here's the reason it's important for you to know that. I know it took a long time to tell you this. The reason it's important is so that you don't live in or under an illusion of reality. I don't want you living deluded, thinking that you're something that you're not. I don't want us thinking that we, and I say it myself too, that I'm better than I am. Because every now and then I have things that pop up and remind me that I'm not. Hello? Yeah, and the Lord just checks me. See, I don't want you, if you're not careful, you will think and you will live in this uh, euphoria of security, this euphoria of achievements. We as a church, you know what we could say? Oh, bless God, we built two houses in foreign land. We fed the hungry down here. We, we gave them Christmas meal. We gave them a Bible. And we could hold our head up like a peacock and strut our stuff and, and live in the euphoria of saying, well, look what we've done. And I'm going to tell you what, all that's over and done. God has tabulated the results. He's going to reward us accordingly. But we cannot march into 2016. We ain't done one thing today. This message is the only thing we've done in 2016. We have to start afresh. We've got a clean slate. We've got to work on another goal. We've got to work on being salt and light. We've got to work on hooking people up in the kingdom of God. Let me go on. You see the goals that we reached, the souls that we've won, the people we've discipled, the missions we've done. All that don't matter. I'm thankful for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that we've done it. And it does matter to them people. I'm saying as far as us standing and bragging and boasting, it don't. Because that's what happened last year. And Jesus didn't come last year. And if he comes this year, I want him to find me working. Lord, let me go on. It's important to know that not only our success, success wiped away, but our failures are wiped away. You see... Um, some things go away automatically, others don't. Now, I've I got to take you somewhere real quick. Let me turn your attention to Matthew's Gospel. I'm gonna, I'll share this with you and try to tie up some loose ends and make some sense of this. Matthew 26 and uh, 31, New King James Version. In verse 31, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight, for it is written... I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have been raised, I'll go before you in Galilee... Peter said to him, if everyone stumbles because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say unto you, this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I should die with you, I will not deny thee. And so said all the disciples. See, we always blame this on Peter, but the Bible says all of them forsook him. Peter took the blame for it. Y'all with me? Let me help you understand this. This was the night before Jesus was killed. He says, now what his disciples said, all of you are going to be offended to me? Peter says, not so, Lord, I'll never be offended to thee. Even if I should die with thee, I'll never offend, be offended to thee and never deny thee in any wise. And the Lord said, Peter, before tonight, before the cock crows twice, before the rooster crows twice, you'll be denied me three times. Let's run on down to verse 69 of that same chapter. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard. You understand they had taken him to the Sanhedrin. He had stood before uh, Caiaphas and they drug him through the streets to Herod and they, here and there and everywhere. But, but Peter's outside warming himself by a fire. 
He's out in the courtyard and a slave girl, a servant girl, came up to him and said, You were also, were with Jesus of Galilee. And, uh, but he denied it before all of them saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, but again. He denied it with an oath and said, I do not know the man. Capital M, talking about Jesus. And a little later, those who stood by, uh, who, who stood by, came up and said to Peter, Surely you also were one of them, for your speech betrays you. Look at it. Church going boy. Under the tutelage of Jesus for three years, he began to curse and swear. I had a pastor that actually gave an example. Holy rollers looked like they had wheeled him out. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And guess what? Peter remembered the word of the Lord who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Two men at that table, that, or all of them failed him, don't get me wrong, but two men especially. One was Judas Iscariot. He, felt he betrayed him. And so did Simon Peter. Simon Peter went and wept bitterly. Judas went and hanged himself. Now, I, I want to break some of this down. Let me say to you that there are too many believers that's going to enter this new year. In fact, many pastors that will enter this new year living under the veil of darkness of a previous failure. Some of you are here right now and you're under the veil of darkness of a previous failure. Maybe it happened last year or the year before and you, maybe you've carried it over since 2010. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand that failure is not final. And I want you to watch this. Uh, on the same night that Jesus would be arrested, he's with his 12 disciples, and the, the Scripture records this exchange, and I want to run over to Luke's Gospel to show it to you from right there, point out just a couple things, and then we'll get back to our slate. In Luke 22 and 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. Did you know Satan is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour? He wants to kill you. He wants to devour you. Jesus said, somebody say, Jesus said. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. Somebody say, Jesus prayed for him. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, in other words, when you've got it right with God, because he did indeed backslide, and I know some of y'all are flipping out about that word, but... If it wasn't real, it wouldn't be in the Bible. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, you've got to get this. Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. But you're still going to fail. Y'all didn't get that. You see, it's one thing to have my friend pray for me, and I still fall. It's another thing for mom and dad to pray for me and I still come short. It's one thing to have my youth pastor pray for me and I still have a problem. But if Jesus, the Son of the living God, prayed for a man 
and he still failed. What in the world is up with that? Are y'all with me? Let me show you. So, I'm praying for you, but somehow we go ahead and do the very things that we shouldn't do. It's entirely different when God's Son prays for you, and yet we find ourselves doing it anyway. That's, it blows my mind, but here's, here's what I want you to get. The term used for fail is the term that we get our word eclipse from. Now I'm going to put something together right here, and you'll be shouting in a minute, so just hold on. The discovery is kind of one of those, wow, I could have had a V8 moment. Watch this. The original term, um, you, know, you know, thinking first that the original term cannot, you know, it cannot mean what it does. But guess what? Today, eclipse, here's the deal. The very next chapter we read of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that word shows up again. That darkness, that eclipse, it shows up again. So, Luke 23 and 45, 44 and 45 says this. Now it was because the sixth hour and darkness fell over the land until about the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now you've got to get this. While darkness pervaded the earth, and the sun was obscured, while, in other words, while it's dark here, something in the temple was happening. There was a great veil of a huge thick curtain from the top to the bottom that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And while it was dark outside and the sun refused to shine, on the inside of the temple or the synagogue, the, the curtain was being torn from top to bottom. Now, let, let me put that in perspective for you. The word obscured, describing an eclipse of light creating darkness while Christ was on the cross. You remember the Bible said the sun refused to shine. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There, there was an earthquake. There was lightning. There was thundering. See if we can get some, a, a, a picture. Let's weave this together, if I may. About God's view on my failure and your failure. Let's watch this. In several places in the scripture... The world in which Jesus came was described as darkness. Isaiah 9, John 3. The darkness was a general description of the condition of mankind ever since the crash and the burn in the Garden of, uh, of Eden when mankind cre uh, committed the original sin. Peter himself would later write a description of what happens when we are born again. He calls it stepping out of darkness into light. Y'all with me? Stepping out of darkness and light. The deception of failure, watch this. You've got to get this if you don't hear nothing else I've said. The deception of failure is that it carries the echo of the Garden of Eden. That God has removed himself and that he is no longer accessible. So now that's where this scripture becomes important for us. Let me, let me set it up for you. In other words, when we fail now, when we sin now... We go all the way back to the garden and we think about how it was in the original sin when God took mankind out of the garden and put an angel with a flaming sword and said that man could no longer fellowship with God. And for thousands of years, man was separate from God. I remember the first time... I remember when sin, I mean, it wasn't the first time I'd ever sinned, but I remember when I was in sixth grade, and my pastor's 
son Paul came over to the house and Paul loved to smoke. He was about three or four years older than me. And so uh, he talked me into getting on the bicycle. Let's go to the store and get us some cigarettes. I'll never forget, uh, you know, here I am, whatever, how old you are, 11, maybe in sixth grade or something. So, man, we got us a pack of Marlboro regular strength, you know, the red and white box. And, well, we lit them up and we was cool. We smoked cigarettes all the way back home. Half dizzy and all the way stupid. Are you with me? I'll never forget getting in the house. That was an ordeal in and of itself. And when I finally got in the house... My dad smelt cigarette smoke on me, and he beat the backside of me nearly off. And the pastor's son. <laughs> That's the way it rolled back then. If you got caught, I mean, daddy was on staff at the church, man. They all whipped everybody's kids back then. I know we don't do none of that no more. We've got the jailhouse full, but we don't do none of that. Anyway, I'll never forget after daddy had whipped me, I mean, with a leather belt, son, my legs were stinging. I had whelps all over the backside of me. And some of them wore the belt curled around and got up here too. Man, I remember laying on a hideaway bed in the living room, rubbing them whips that were stinging. And I wasn't even thinking about the whipping. What I was thinking about was how bad I let Daddy down. What I was thinking about was how he'll never trust me again. What I was thinking about was how, how I broke his heart and the expectation he had of me. And see, what happens is, I thought, as I lay there crying, not because of the whipping, Lord God, I'd had plenty of them. I knew that would go away. But what I didn't realize in my 11-year-old mind was that the pain would somehow subside one day, and I could please my father again. Mm -hmm. Well, so we've got to understand this. The veil in the temple, in the simplest sense, is the device that separated purity of God from the impurity of man. Again, the root of the separation goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the ultimate failure. You see, uh, the veil of failure, if you will, here's the deal. On the cross, at that very moment, the eclipse is happening. When everything has gotten so dark because of the penalty of sin, at that very moment... God's power is starting to rip the threads of a veil in the temple that held man back from God. Do you get it? While he's dying because of the penalty of sin, God is starting. I wish I had the sound of a curtain ripping right now and slowly but surely from the top to the bottom that heavy curtain was ripped in twain. And now the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of God to obtain grace to help in time of need. Um, at the very moment we fail and invite the seeming veil of darkness and separation and eclipse the light that we're walking in. The force of the cross is immediately at work tearing the veil of separation so that you and I can step into a place of redemption. What I'm saying is this, is that when we get to the place of failure and failure has eclipsed all the light and it's so dark in our world, the Lord says, you know what happens when you pull back the curtain, right? You can see in. What God says is that that was solid, I have ripped asunder. I have thrown the curtain back on both sides 
so that you can see who I am. Used to, only one man one time a year could go to God. He says, but now, when we fail, when we mess up, when we've blown it, when our slate is so full of all the junk, all the misfortune, all the shattered dreams, all the sin, all the shame, all of the deception, all of the disappointment, everybody we've hurt, and all of that is so piled up, and the light has been eclipsed, and it's dark in our world, God says at that very time, I sent my son to die for you while you were still in sin. And rip open that heavy veil so that you could have a clean slate. That I would wipe all of this away, you see. And it would be brand new, a new you in a new year. Are you hearing me? A clean slate. God says, I'll take care of that. Let me say this. How many of y'all remember the fellow by the name of Jacob in the Bible? Jacob's name meant liar, deceiver, supplanter, swindler. Jacob was an evil man. Now let me tell you something. He was destined to be great. God said it was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob would have Joseph, and, and, and the lineage would go right on down. But Jacob would eventually have 12 sons. Are y'all hearing me? The 12 tribes of Israel that would lead Israel. God would use him greatly. But in his early days, he was a scoundrel. He was like some of us. He stole his brother's birthright. He schemed with his mother. She didn't help. He done all kind of foolish things, but guess what? He got in so much trouble with his brother, the last thing his brother said is, when daddy dies, I'm going to kill you. When daddy dies, I'm going to kill you. You've stole my birthright. I'm going to take care of you when daddy dies. As soon as, soon as he passes. So his mama said, your brother's thinking about killing you. Esau's going to kill you. So go to, go to my brother's house. Go to Laban's house. Your uncle's. Go to work for Laban. So he went down there. He intended to stay just a little while, but he ended up staying 20 years. Boy, I wish I had time to preach that. Boy, I wish I had time. Down there, the deceiver got deceived. You know that. He worked seven years for a beautiful girl named Rachel, and he woke up the next morning. You couldn't see the girl on the night of the wedding, by the way. You consummated the marriage, and then you saw her the next morning. He woke up, and lo and behold, he's with Leah, the ugly one. Some of y'all been there. Y'all went home from the bar and thought she was a 10 and woke up the next morning and said, Oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? He said, I worked seven more years to have Lee, uh, to have Rachel. He did, and then he worked seven more. I mean, he worked. He worked. Twenty years has passed. He finally decides, you know what? I'm going back to my roots. On his way, he had stopped at a place called Bethel. And he saw a ladder, Jacob's ladder. Angels descending and descending. I mean, he see that going back, somebody come to him and said, hey, 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 your brother Esau's coming and he's got a bunch of people with him. Scared him out of his mind. He said, you know what? I hadn't heard from, I ain't heard from Esau in 20 years. Last thing he told me he's going to kill me. So you know what he did? He got serious with God. That's what we do when we know trouble's coming. Man, we getting, we, we got to go to church. I got court in the morning for heaven's sake. I need God to help me. I ain't done nothing for him all my life, but I need him right now. And so uh, Jacob turned to a place called Peniel. 
he lay down on a rock and he cried and said, Oh God, he really got a hold of God. I'm not talking about coming down doing a deep knee bend and getting up. I'm talking about Jacob got down there and prayed and slobbered and snorted and blowed. I mean, he, he stayed there till he got a hold of God. And God sent an angel. An angel said, uh, Jacob, what are you doing? He's rest. He, he, he says, I, I, I'm wrestling with this angel because of that my brother's coming, etc., etc. And the angel asked him, he said, tell me your name. And I bet you old Jacob was saying, I was hoping you wasn't going to ask me that. Because my name is a bad slate. My name means liar, supplanter, deceiver, swindler, scoundrel. And you know what? It is only when he admitted who he was, looked in his own mirror, looked at his own slate, and when he said, angel slapped him on the side and said you shall no longer be called Jacob but your name shall be Israel hey! no longer will you be a swindler a supplanter a deceiver your name shall be called Israel let me say this is when you get to a place in God where you're tired of the darkness where you're tired of all of that junk and that crap that's pushing you down he'll get me Lord I want to tell you something my heads are bowed and eyes are closed I want to go back to my little story of the Apostle Peter he loved the Lord with everything in him he was scared of dying he was scared of what was going to happen to him so while he stood before men said, though I die with you, I'll never be offended thee in any wise. But yet a Jewish damsel, a young Jewish girl said, yes, you were with them. I know I saw you. Your speech betrayed you. And he cursed and swore to God that I don't know him. He was an utter and a miserable failure. He ran to the woods and wept and cried to God. There's something about being sorry. There's something about being sorry for God. Do you know what he did? I'm going to paraphrase this because of time. Peter decided in that failing moment, because I didn't read this to you, but, he, but, but uh, if you can just look up here for a second. Jesus was standing here right in front of the praetorium, and they were questioning him. Peter was outside the doors looking through, warming himself by an enemy's fire back there, but safe from here to the foyer. And when the rooster crowed the second time, the Bible says Jesus turned around and looked eyeball to eyeball and caught a glimpse with the Apostle Peter. That was the last time Peter saw his Lord living. And he said, I have failed him in his last and dying hour. You know what he did? He gave up. Peter said, I'm giving up on this. I, I, I give up on the ministry. I ain't preaching no more. I ain't teaching no more. And you know what he did? He went back to doing what he knew he could do. Some of y'all got, you got your back up. He said, I know how to fish. That's what I used to be. I was a fisherman. You know what Jesus told him on the shores of Galilee? 
Jesus told him, you shall henceforth catch men. I'll make you fishers of men. But you know what he said? I'm done with that fishing for men. I'm done with that ministry thing. That's over. I've gone too far. I failed him. I'm going to go back and do what I know to do. He went back and he's fishing. I want to tell you something. You remember when Jesus was raised from the dead? The women come to him that day. They didn't recognize him. He said, go tell my disciples that I'm raised, just like I said. As they started, they started to turn and run away to go tell the disciples. He said, oh, and, 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 and tell Peter. cried he done back so he, he's done with the ministry you know where he's at he's out there in the boat he's fishing and in the same place Jesus had called him three years ago Jesus comes walking back by there and for the second time in his life Peter sees him and he hears the words follow me <laughs> I hadn't forgot about you I know you failed me. I know you had a big mouth. I know it overloaded you. I know you messed up. I know it was dark in your life. But I came back to the sandy shores of Galilee just to tell you that I'm still counting on you. I still need you. Peter would go. Oh. <laughs> Let me tell you what he said real quick. I'm, I'm trying to finish, but just... He said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. He said, well, feed my sheep. He said, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What, what is he talking about? Fishing. Do you love me more than this? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you more than this. He said, well, feed my lambs. He asked him the third time. And some scholars say that he asked him three times because he had failed him three times. I don't know if it has any relevance. But he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And then Simon said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know how much I really love you. And Jesus said, Well, if you do, then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. I want you to know that God is saying, I have come back for you. And I know you messed up. And I know you don't deserve it. I know you are detestable and deplorable in all that you've done. But my grace is Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.